Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. They've never wanted to hear, the world never has wanted to hear the truth. We need more convictional people about truth. That's why we keep preaching. God has already spoken. He's a long-suffering, patient God. God is love. It's a love that is based on holiness and who He is. When people come together and pray, it's amazing how God's will works. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Living Faith. You're invited to join us as we continue our series entitled, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. For the Hebrew people, life in the Promised Land was a cycle. Though God had promised His people a land of plenty, He also commanded them to remember Him and His law in their abundance. The people became blinded by their prosperity and often followed after other gods, worthless idols. Each time God graciously provided the voice of a prophet to call His people back to Himself and to warn of impending judgment. Amos was one such prophet in this cycle. This shepherd, called from the fields of a small town, was chosen to bring God's message of judgment to a powerful and arrogant nation. A message so very relevant to New Testament believers who were part of Israel's faithful remnant through Jesus Christ. So get your Bible and pen ready and let's listen in as Pastor John Beck leads us through the book of Amos. Take your Bibles, if you will, and find the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 7 as we continue our wonderful journey through the Word of God as we have been gathering over these last several weeks looking at it literally verse by verse, the Old Testament prophet Amos. I want to give you a little bit of a review. As we began to look at the first part of, of Amos we began to see that Amos was prophesying to the, the people of God that judgment is coming. And he looked into the nation and uh, looked at their heart and he looked at their life and the way that they were living, how they were living their life contrary to what they knew to be the truth of God and his word. And he just basically looked into them through, through messages and speaking and prophecy and said, judgment is coming. That is inevitable. It is coming upon the people. And then Amos went into a, a series of sermons, you could say, in, in chapters three through six, and he began to explain to the people the judgment of God is coming because of this. And he began to expose them to the truth of God's word about the way they were living their life and their, their false worship and the way that they uh, treated others, their, their lack of justice and taking care of one another and, and looking out for the concerns of others. So he says, judgment is coming and it's coming because of these things. And now we see the, the word of God turning and we have a series of visions and in these visions Amos received from the Lord, he shares with the people what this judgment is going to look like. And then as we look at the end of Amos, through all of the judgment, there's hope. And there's a restoration for God's people. Life's a lot like that, isn't it? There's so many things that happen in the world that we live in now. Our, our mission field, where we live, where God has allowed us to, to live. There's so many things that happen that are outside of our control. We don't like, that we don't care for, we wish it didn't happen. 
But God said, that's why I sent my son, Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of the, of the world, since the beginning in the book of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve and we have uh, the idea of sin being introduced to uh, the world through man and through woman. And, and from that point forward, there's going to be sin and death and despair and hurting. But in the midst of all of that, there's always hope. Now, people often ask me, how do we read the Old Testament and, and understand how to understand the Old Testament to where we are today? And I'll tell you this, write this down. Read the Old Testament with the cross in sight. Now, sometimes we read the Old Testament and we read the Old Testament with the Old Testament in sight. We miss the picture. Amos is telling the nation of Israel, there's coming a day of judgment, but there's also a day of hope. And as we read Amos in light of the cross, God is saying, oh, there's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day of despair, but there's a day of hope. And that hope is Calvary. Aren't you glad we have the hope of the gospel message in the midst of suffering and hurting and pain and anguish? Oh, I'm thankful for hope. As we look at Amos chapter 7, we're going to look at three of these visions. And this is what I'd like for us to do. I think there's great lessons that we can learn even as we look at the visions and we learn about God and how that works in our life. And then there seems to be a, what we call a historical interlude right in the middle of those visions. There's a, a, a scene going on with Amos having a, a battle with religious leaders and there's oh so much that we can learn there as we apply that into our life. Because in the midst of this judgment, we can see the love of God. Take your Bible and follow with me to yourself as I read out loud. Amos chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, take a pew Bible, look to the table of contents and find Amos. It's a little book. But I want you to follow along. This is what the Lord God showed me. So it's a vision. It was a word that God gave a prophet. Prophets had visions. We don't need visions anymore because we have the word of God. But prophets didn't have the written word of God, so God spoke to the prophets through, through visions and words. And so this was a vision of something that was going to happen. Now, what, what made Amos a prophet is it did happen. And so he said, this is the word of the Lord. This is what I've saw. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was a latter growth after the king's mowings. And so the, the, the first crop would come through and all the religious leaders would get it. So the second crop was for the, for the common person, the nation of Israel. It would have been a devastating effect on the people. We had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, meaning that the locusts had finished eating the grass of the land in this vision. Then Amos said, verse 2, O Lord, please forgive them. How can Jacob stand? Oh, he is so small. Notice verse 3. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse four, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a, a judgment by fire and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. And then I said, oh Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And you know what Amos is seeing? Amos is seeing the judgment of God upon the people of Israel and he knew they could not stand. 
He knew that as a people, once God's judgment started, that they would not be able to stand. Again, it was through Amos' concern and lamentations. Verse 6, the Lord relented concerning this thing. This also shall not be, said the Lord, God. The third vision, verse 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall. And that wall was built with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm, I'm setting a plumb line. Now, do you, do you know what a plumb line is? I brought mine. I used to be a, a, an electrical power line construction guy. I guess that's why my knees are not existing. I used to climb poles for a living. I used to be a skinny athletic dude back in the day. Well, when you, when you stick a pole in the ground, you know, you, you, can't, you don't want to climb a pole every time you put a pole in the ground and put a level on it and go up there and be hanging on a pole when somebody's trying to straighten it. So you get, your, you get a plumb line. This is my... Old plumb line. I tell people, like, back when I had a job, it's attached to an eye nut. For those old, I don't, Milton's not here and, and can't give me a, and I don't, I don't uh, see Mr. Wendell Smith either. We're, we're all fellow pole climbers. This was a, an eye nut. This has no significance other than it gave you weight. So what God was, was showing Amos is you take this line and this line's always going to be perfectly straight. And so you would line everything up with that. So you put a pole in the ground, you glance at the top of the pole, the bottom of the pole, and then when, you get, when that top gets straight, then the, the pole's straight. Because sometimes when you get on a, on a slope, you're looking crooked and it looks straight, but it's not straight. And so what God was saying is, I've, I've got a plumb line and it's up against the nation of Israel and I'm looking at it. And so as we looked at that plumb line, this is what Amos was saying. Nation of Israel, God is standing in your midst and there's a, a, a totally complete accurate gauge that he is using. And it is his truth of his word. And he is standing in the midst of the nation of Israel and he is standing by the truth of his word and whether it perfectly aligns or not. Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac, they shall be made desolate. Now, when you think about high places, you're thinking about places of worship. A place that you would come and to acknowledge who God is. And you begin to think about a people of God. The, the one place that you would think that the people of God would get it right would be the house of God, right? Right? God's saying it's not straight. It doesn't align with the truth of my word is what Amos has been saying the entire prophecy. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be made laid to waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now verse 10, in the midst of these visions, we have this interlude here. The Messiah, the, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against us in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words. Do you, you know, I would, in, you know, in, in my little own exclamation point off to the side, you think? 
And they went to the king. This is what makes it so ironic. The religious leader came out of Bethel and went to the king and said, hey, this guy's prophesying this false stuff. But never again prophesied Bethel for it's a king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Notice whose sanctuary the priest of Bethel said that it belonged to the king with the little K and not the capital K, meaning God's kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, you go and prophesy to my people. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. He's getting fired up now. Verse 17, therefore, thus saith the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the boldness and the prophecy of Amos. And Lord, I just ask today that we could see your love in the midst of judgment. Let us see the truth of where our life needs to be in regard to your plumb line. Let our heart be right. Let our mind be right according to the word of truth. Let us truly be your people this morning. Let us truly understand that judgment is coming, but that our hope is not in that judgment, but that our hope is in the Son and in the cross. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at these visions real quick. Vision one, we've got the locusts coming and they're, they're devouring the land and yet Amos pleads and God relents. Vision two is fire or drought or however you want to look at it. We don't really know the significance of it. And, and a lot of times people say, well, I wonder what that fire is. And we spend, you know, three or four days researching what fire is. It doesn't matter to me what it is. It's the judgment of God. And it's going to bring desolation upon the people. And Amos pleads. And God relented. The third vision, the plumb line. His word is the plumb line. And the object of that judgment is the house of God. We read those visions and we think, well, that happened a long time ago and it all came to pass. But what does that have to do with us here today? How can we look at the judgment of God? How can we see the things that are happening in our world today and find the hope and the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it's simple. What can we learn? One, God is the judge. And when we think about God being the judge, we just sang about it and oh, 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 uh, speak to me was the name of the song, Speak, O Lord. Your majestic love and your authority. Isn't that wonderful? We sang it and didn't even realize what we were singing. Speak, O Lord. Your majestic love and your authority. God is love. 
He's all about love. He's loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a, a cross. But it is a righteous, just love that hates sin. It's a love that is based on holiness and who he is. And he is the judge. And so you're right, world, when you say only God can judge me. He is judging you and he will judge you. God is the judge. Never question his judgment. When he looked about the locusts and he looked at the fire, it was God that was doing these things. It is God that is the judge. Secondly, this judgment, if you notice, is deserving. I think some of us think that because we're saved that we strut around like a proud peacock and like, well, why not would God save us? Listen, every one of us deserved hell. And if you're visiting with us today, please come back. I don't. <laughs> we are grateful for your visiting with us today, but you deserve hell. And this is why we have to believe that. That's what makes the cross so important. Gosh, it just drives me crazy. The world says, well, God just loves everyone. Uh, yes, God loves everybody. We all deserve hell and damnation. That's what makes the cross so beautiful. That's what makes God's love so great. I don't deserve anything that I have. As a matter of fact, I deserve all the judgment of God apart from Christ. All this judgment is discerning. How many of us wonder when we watch things, why is God doing this? Listen, if I was God, I would have blown up the earth a long time ago. The judgment of God is so deserving. That's why we have the cross of Calvary. Another thing to look at. Amos lifted up his prayers and they were heard. Now notice how I worded that. I didn't say Amos prayed and God changed his mind. If I can change God's mind, we are all in a world of hurt. Could you imagine that influence? If I can, if I say, you know, well, the pastor can change God's mind. If he prays, you don't want me. If I can change God's mind, we're all in trouble. But this is what happened. James 5 teaches us what? The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I'll be the first one to tell you, I do not understand the wonders of prayer, but I'm going to tell you something. Prayer is a wonderful thing. Amos prayed and God relented. Let me tell you what Amos didn't do. I don't think Amos just said, oh, I better put this on the prayer list. Oh, I better tell somebody to pray for a nation of Israel. Oh, I better write this down somewhere. You know what? Let me tell you what prayer is. I bet Amos, I wasn't there, I don't know. He prayed for God to not judge. And he cried out. And he cried out. And he cried out. When's the last time you cried out over anything? You know, when's the last time you really cried out for the lost people in your home and for your church? And, and we talk about praying for our country. If my people, we say that, are we are people that are praying? I think Amos lifted up that prayer. And I think he was a man of godliness and a man of prayer. And he was walking close to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was walking close to God and he prayed and God heard that prayer. He heard the prayer of the locust and he relented. 
He heard the prayer of the fire and he relented. He heard the prayer of the plumb line and didn't relent. You know what it's tempting to say? Well, if Amos would have had enough faith, God would have done it. That is a lie from the depths of hell. If my faith, if it takes my faith for God to answer his prayers, again, that's a theological train wreck. If my faith is what it takes for God to answer the prayer, we're telling Jesus Christ he died on that cross for absolutely nothing. But I will say this, when people come together and pray, it's amazing how God's will works. You know, do you take our nation, for instance? Somebody said, do you think God's going to judge this nation? i tell you this right now. I know God's going to judge this nation. I can, you know, I, I guess I need to write a prophecy book. That's what I get so tickled about all these prophecy things. Oh, somebody's speaking and he knows God's going to judge us. Hello. We'll have a prophecy meeting Wednesday night and prayer meeting. I'll tell everybody God's going to judge this nation. He's going to judge all the nations. but he won't ever judge the church. But I do believe if our nation got on their face before God and sought the face of God and lived out the word of God, he would bless this nation. Do you think God's going to judge? I know he's going to judge this nation. Do you think God can bless this nation? I know he will if my people Are you lifting up those prayers to the Lord? He hears them. When, when he answered the first two prayers, Amos was excited. When he didn't answer the third prayer, did he question God? No, he did not, but he kept praying. Number four, God's righteous long suffering is being displayed. We don't know the timetable, but notice we don't know what God is not doing in our life. I think about my life. I shared a little bit of my background with some of our youth today, just conversationally I was talking. My life is a picture of God's long suffering and patience, is it not? Is your not life the same way? I am so thankful for the long suffering and patience of God. Those first two visions, he was showing patience upon the people. And this is why. The same way he was in Nineveh, even though Nineveh turned their back on God and he eventually judged the nation of Nineveh, what did he tell Jonah to do? Go and preach to Nineveh so that they may repent. He is long-suffering. He's long-suffering so that his people will turn back to him. He's a long-suffering, patient God. But then we also see, not only do we see God's righteous long-suffering, but we also see God's righteous judgment displayed. He judged them. And they were destroyed and taken into exile. Everything that happens is justifiable because God is the judge. I pray more for his long suffering. I, I, I pray more that his long suffering would be displayed. And I, but I also pray that in his righteous judgment, it also will be displayed. Then we see, if we look at this, God's faithfulness to his own. Don't miss that in Amos. 
He's judging them because they've turned their back on God. I, you know, and I, I, I love going through, I know our Sunday school material is going to be going into Revelation. I love the book of Revelation, not because all the secret stuff that's in there we try to figure out. Quit worrying about the secret stuff. Church people drive me crazy. You'll spend all your time trying to figure out the secret stuff and never figure out and the truth is right in front of you. I mean, God's not playing hide and seek from us. He wants us to know the obvious. I'll tell you the obvious. That's why I love the book of Revelation. It's a great book. Judgment's coming. Tribulation's coming. But a child of God will never face the wrath of God. Do you believe that? They could come in here with assault weapons today and we could all be instantly killed and martyred for Christ and we would all be in front of Jesus today. But that's not the wrath of God. We will never face the undiluted wrath of God. That, that's what Revelation's about, the undiluted wrath of God. When those bowls, I'm from the South, I can't say bowls very clear. Those bowls of wrath start pouring out upon the church and upon not the church, upon the world. That is God's undiluted wrath pouring out. And it was like a, a breath of fresh air when I was studying Revelation years ago. I'm a child of God. I will never face the judgment of God. I'll never face the wrath of God. He'll always protect his own. Even in death, he'll protect his own. Death is just a reminder of the fallenness of this world. Death is a reminder that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin and gives us life. Yes, death hurts. And we weep and we mourn. But it is a reminder on the other side. I don't want to get all theological about heaven, but I, thought, I told somebody today, I wonder what Scott and Mike are talking about this morning. <laughs> Gosh, what sarcasm and humor is going on in heaven today. <laughs> Two peas in a pod. Is it sad? Yes, it's sad. Do I want it to happen? No, I don't want it to happen, but it has to because of the sin in the world that we have. But my hope's not in death. My hope is in life. Yes. And so when we look at this, God always takes care of his own. He provides a way, and that way is Calvary. And judgment, don't miss this. The measurement for God's judgment is always truth. The visions and the sermon was the truth of God. All they had to do is to acknowledge that it was the truth of God. And God said, I will bless you. There's only two options. I will bless you or I will judge you. Truth is always it. Lessons learned from the vision. Lessons learned from the message. Now, I want us to consider Amos. Lessons learned from the messenger. You ever feel like that the world's against you? How many people say the world's against me? You know, it'd be like me as a preacher. Oh, nobody wants to hear anymore. People don't want to hear the truth anymore. Y'all whine about how long I preach. Not y'all. Well, some of y'all. <laughs> but... They didn't want to hear Amos. That makes me feel good. They didn't want to hear Amos. How long ago was that? And they said, oh, the world's gotten so hard. No, they didn't want to hear Amos. They didn't want to hear Jesus. They didn't want to hear Paul. They didn't want to hear Peter. They killed them all. 
The only one that lived a long life was John, and somebody had to write Revelation. They've never wanted to hear. The world never has wanted to hear the truth. That's why we keep preaching it. Notice, if you look at that, here's the accusation. I love it. Here's the accusation. The priest came, got to be religious. So the priest came and told the king that the land is not able to bear his words. Jeroboam, and this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Israel will go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, oh, seer. I love that word seer. I looked it up and began to think about it. Seer is kind of a, not quite a prophet, a flunky prophet. And so if he would have used the word a prophet or a priestly prophet, King Jeroboam would have been saying, you're on staff at the temple. You're a real prophet. You're, you're one of Jeroboam's prophets. So when he looked over there and said, you little seer, you're not one of the prophets or you'd be in my temple. That's kind of dangerous, isn't it? Almost fits every generation, doesn't it? Flee away the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy in Bethel for it's the king's sanctuary and his temple. So as we look at that, the accusation is, is the word of truth is being proclaimed to the people. The, word, the world did not want to hear Amos, but what was the world listening to? God. The world needs the word of God. Now, listen, we're not making enemies. This is not a, a weapon of mass destruction, but it is God's word, and we need to proclaim it. We need to live it out, and we need to share it with boldness, but in love. You don't see Amos getting upset. You don't get Amos stomping and carrying on, but he's boldly proclaiming the word of truth. You know what I have found out in my life when I begin to talk to people about what I believe is the truth, and I stay and in, in, in not get in the flesh, but stay in the spirit? They see my conviction and boldness. They either totally disagree with me or they'll eventually understand that what I believe is very important to me and they want to hear more. We need more convictional people about truth. We're not beating people up. It's not a weapon, but it's a word of truth. The world will never receive the word of truth, but we don't stop sharing. So the people they were accusing, they're accusing us today. But also we look at the messenger, we see Amos. Oh gosh, what humility here. We see Amos, we see a, a demonstration of a calling upon his life. Now, you'd have to do some agricultural studying here, and I did. He, he wasn't a prophet, he was a farmer. And he was a, a, a tender dresser of the sycamore fig. So I, I was looking up sycamore figs and wanted to see if there was some theological significance to that. And it really isn't. But one of the commentators did say that, that figs were kind of for poor people. Don't miss that. I just grow figs for poor people. I'm just an old farmer pruning the figs for the poor people. I'm not making any money, but I'm feeding the poor people. But guess what God said? I got a calling for you. I want you to go talk to the king. And you tell him what I told you. Would you be willing to do that? And then I think about it, and I don't want to spend too much time thinking about something that I don't know happened, but I really do think it did happen. I like working out in the yard. It's kind of, I'm busy. I like, to, I like to stay busy doing stuff. Worst thing in the world to do is put a chainsaw in my hand. 
But you know what I'm always doing when I'm out there? You do the same thing when you get to piddling and out there in your, your property and your farm or whatever, especially you farmers. I've heard some of you retired folks now telling me you just love to get out in the grove. What are you doing? You're thinking. You're meditating. Boy, I bet Amos had a burden over the nation of Israel. I bet Amos had a, a meditating. I bet Amos was hungering after the things of God. And Amos began to wonder and to pray and to meditate. And God began to stir his heart. And he was seeking God's face. And God answered that seeking. He said, I tell you what I want you to do, Amos. I've been looking for a man that's got a burden like you. I want you to go and prophesy my word. You can always tell a man of God. By the way they live their life. Amen. You don't have to tell somebody you're a man of God. People will tell you you're a man of God. They knew Amos was a man of God. So we see Amos speaks a demonstration of the call and faith and trust. Then last, as we look at Amos and this interlude, lessons from the interlude, God speaks. The world spoke and accused Amos of being blasphemous or wrong. Gosh, that's so, isn't the Bible relevant today? We speak and we're a bunch of bigots and narrow-minded. We speak and it's not true. How dare you judge us, the world says. But then God speaks. Your wife should be a prostitute in the city. Who's he talking to? The king's wife. Why would a king's wife have to resort to prostitution to make a living? Because her husband's dead. And the crown is gone. And the kingdom is dissolved. And she has nothing. Oh, and by the way, your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. And your, your land shall be divided with a measuring line. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land. What do you think he died? Not in the promised land, but an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go away from its land. Chapter 8 picks right back up with the visions. And so often when you preach and teach through Amos, you jump right to that plumb line vision and then you skip to chapter eight. But all week long, I, I began to think about Amos, Amos, Amos. We need, we need men that are Amoses. We need women that are Amoses that understand that God has given us a world to proclaim that the world needs to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need people that understand that the world will always be against the truth. It always has, it always will be. But we need to be willing to speak and understand that God has laid a message on our heart regardless if we're pruning the sycamore tree or whether we're serving alongside in the temple that God will use us. And that God has already spoken. Now, we don't have to worry about being exiled or falling into a nation. That's not the judgment that God is talking about. He has already sent his son, Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, when you start thinking about the second coming, here's the thing to think about, his patience and long suffering. What are we doing in the midst of that patience and long suffering? Because when that day arrives, judgment is coming. We need to be like Amos, praying for people 
praying for God's hand to, to just slow down that others can hear the gospel and receive Christ, that God's judgment would, would slow down so that we could be the people that God is calling us to be. The message is still the same. Judgment is coming. But I tell you what God needs today is those messengers. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the message of the vision that you have laid out in the book of Amos. But I also thank you for the messenger. And Lord, as we sing here this moment, I, I thank you that as we lift up the words, take my life, and let it be, that we could be as Amos and be people that know you and that love you and they're sharing the message about you. We thank you for the cross this morning. We thank you that in the midst of pain and despair and hurting, we, in the midst of just the world that we live in, that we have the hope of the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the exaltation of our Savior to the right hand of the Father. We thank you for the gospel that through repentance and faith, we can call on the name of the Lord and be saved and be born again. We thank you for that hope this morning. And as we sing, Lord Jesus, let us be the men and women you're calling us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book, for the coming months. For more information about First Baptist Church of Avon Park, just go to fbcap.net. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash fbcavonpark. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.